This morning we were looking at the subject of our spiritual maturity, our um, our spiritual growth, and uh, we looked at the theme of of spiritually uh, of being spiritually mature or growing into spiritual uh, maturity uh, from the perspective of what a spiritual maturity is not, what it is, and um, what it requires in our lives to be able to grow and be spiritually mature. We ended the message this morning focusing on the fact that spiritual maturity produces discernment. And discernment is such a vital part. Uh, once you learn some of the terminology that the Bible uses of discernment, then you begin to see discernment throughout the Bible. You see references and statements. You see uh, in the Psalms, uh, a, a number of places in the Psalms, where the psalmist is praying for discernment. Uh, we see it throughout the Scriptures, uh, the importance of discernment. The ability to exercise the mind of Christ, to analyze things in our world and in our lives, and to be able to discern how God thinks about that subject or that situation. Spiritual discernment is the product of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity leaves us with the ability to discern. And discernment is a sifting. It's an analyzing. It's a judging. It's, a, it's the ability to, to see... Uh, um, uh, uh, differences in decisions that would be made or things that would be being weighed out. Spiritual maturity and, and spiritual discernment is the ability to analyze and sift through those various things and find what is most excellent. Find what, what God uh, thinks. And, of course, the only way we can know what God thinks is to be saturated with his word because his word is the place where he reveals how he thinks. And so spiritual maturity, we learned this morning, comes over a process of time. As we desire spiritual maturity, as we discipline ourselves to sweat in the work of developing spiritual maturity, by disciplining ourselves to to produce habits or to adopt habits, things that we do repetitively until they become second nature. We exercise ourselves. We, we develop patterns of habitual behavior. And those habits over a process of time enable us to learn God. And, of course, those habits revolve around our prayer, our reading of the Bible, our study and meditating on the Bible, and through developing the habit of interacting with God in prayer and in the Word of God, we actually begin to understand how God thinks. We find out what God loves. We find out what God hates. We find out how God views things. And, and as a result of that, we begin to develop the mind of Christ in our own selves. When Paul wrote the church at Corinth, he explained to them the process by which truth is conveyed from the mind of God into the mind and life of man. One of the most profound passages of Scripture on that process. Uh, we, we touched on it just a tad on this last Wednesday night in prayer meeting. And it, and it ends up 
by stating that those who have who have given themselves to the disciplined work of developing maturity, those people actually develop the mind of Christ. And having the mind of Christ, we are able to discern. And our discernment enables us to choose the things that God wants and to fit into the uh, the, the flow of God's desires and God's will and what God, and, and that's what uh, we learned this morning that uh, Epaphras uh, prayed for, for the church members of the church at Colossae, that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And so he wanted them to be brought into that great theme of the will of God in every area of their life that requires maturity. And the maturity produces discernment. And so we ended this morning taking note that this whole process of spiritual maturity ends in discernment because we have gotten to know the mind of God and we've begun to think like him. This evening, I'm, I'm drawn to one, uh, one other passage of Scripture here in Philippians 1. I want to show you a couple of things about this as we wrap up our day today. This is another of the great New Testament churches the Apostle Paul had the privilege of establishing. He had a special relationship with these people. This, birth, this church was birthed out of great pain. He was beaten until his back was raw and he was put in a Roman jail in Philippi. And this church was birthed out of a painful experience of persecution and suffering. That relationship with these people became a very uh, deep relationship. And now... Ten years later, he writes them this letter, and he says, We have had a ten-year ministry cooperating together, fellowshipping together in the work of the gospel. It's a very close relationship with them. And in verse number nine, he begins, well, verse number eight, he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Of course, we know the word bowels speaks of an internal organ. It was what we would say today, the heart of Jesus Christ. They said the bowels of Jesus Christ. He was expressing the depth of his love for these people and how he longed to be with them and to, to continue this wonderful relationship with them. And so he began to pray for them in verse number 9. He said, in this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. He had, he had expressed to them his uh, desire to be with them, his memory of them. He had expressed that he constantly was thinking about them and praying for them. And now he, he lays out a petition before God. And his petition to God is that they may abound more and more in love. That their love would expand that it would be an, a love that would, it would ex, be expansive in new areas, new people, and new relationships. He wants, <coughs> excuse me, their love to abound yet more and more. There's an abundance to this thing. They were a loving people, and yet Paul knew that the secret to their maturity was an abundance of love that would continue to grow. And yet at the same time, he recognized that an abundance of love can also be dangerous. An abundance of love can lead in areas that are not wise. 
It's kind of like water. Water's a, a wonderful commodity that we all need. We couldn't live long without water. And, and we would want people to have water, good water, fresh water, healthy, drinkable water. But that water that we would long for people to have must be contained within boundaries. You take water that is life-giving water running down a river, as long as it stays within its banks, it is life-giving and, and it is valuable. But you let that water overflow its banks and not be contained. Then all of a sudden, that which was a blessing becomes a curse. And the Apostle Paul is, is praying for an abundance, a, a growing superabundance of love. But that love must be controlled. He said that love abounds yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Like a powerful river, he establishes two banks that will contain it. And contained within those banks, that water is life-giving to a community. As long as it's held within the banks of knowledge and judgment, or I put in your little worksheet there, it's controlled. It's an intelligent love. And it's a discerning love. God doesn't love everything. There are things God hates. An abundance of love that knows, that, that is not contained by our knowledge of the mind of God. An overabundance of love that is not kept in place by discernment can actually hurt the cause of Christ. It can actually do damage to our lives. And so the petition that Paul has is that this love that would grow and grow and grow would be bound by knowledge and judgment. Judgment, the ability to judge, the ability to discern, the ability to think things through and, and make a judgment call. And so an intelligent love and a discerning love will keep love in a healthy environment where it can uh, be so valuable to our lives. But that love has to be controlled. We have to know the mind of God. We have to have knowledge. And we have to have the ability to discern that which is good and that which is bad. And within those banks of intelligence and discernment, the love that abounds and flows through our lives to other people's lives is valuable and it's necessary in the life of the church. And so he has a petition. It's a simple petition that their love would abound more and more. And yet that love has to be controlled. In verse number 10, the verse starts with the word that, uh, or we could say so that. And then he lists three goals of this kind of an intelligent, discerning love. This is the love of a spiritually mature person. Christians who do not possess spiritual maturity love things that God doesn't love. Because they don't know the mind of Christ. They're immature. And so the growth of love that is not controlled by intelligence and discernment can end up hurting them. So the, the, the goal or the petition is a controlled love, 
an intelligent love, a discerning love, so that some things will happen. What is the goal of this discerning, intelligent love? Verse number 10 says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense. Notice those three aspects of this goal that Paul has. In order uh, for these goals to be met, these church members must grow in their spiritual maturity to love what God loves, an intelligent love, to be able to know what not to love, a discerning love, so that these, this goal can be met. Now, what's, what's, let's break down this goal. That ye may approve things that are excellent. The word approve speaks of testing something with a view to approving it. It was used in the medical world of a, a, a medical student taking a medical exam to, to, to pass and be able to practice medicine. And the idea was he took the exam with a view to passing it. He didn't take it to fail it. He took it to gain approval. He took it to pass it and be approved. And that this concept of, of, of approving things, of successfully okaying things in our lives, approving. But what are we trying to approve? What are we trying to identify God's stamp of approval? An intelligent, discerning love that gives me the ability to approve things that are excellent or to put a stamp of approval, God's approval, on things that are excellent. And the word excellent is a word that at its core meaning has the idea of differing or two things that differ. Excellent speaks of being able to analyze, to identify what part of this is excellent. Not what a part of this is just okay. Not what is just acceptable. Not what I can, I can get by with this and God won't, uh, God won't get really mad at me. But it's what is excellent. What is the best? What is the supreme? You see, Paul's goal is that these church members not live on the level of what they can get by with. To not live on the level of what is just acceptable. What is not a glaring life of sin. But rather his goal is that these people, through an intelligent and a discerning love that is growing in their lives, might enable them. Thank you. Might enable them. appreciate that. <clears throat> might enable them to discern things in their lives in order to identify what is excellent for them to do. This is not the difference between right and wrong. It's the difference between good, better, and best. Uh, this is the, the, the high level of discernment that can identify what is the best possible thing. Approving that which is excellent. The second part of the goal is that ye may be sincere. The word sincere is a really interesting word. It's... It means to be without wax. Well, what in the world would that mean, without wax? In the first century, uh, people made a lot of pottery. They made a lot of pottery for their normal uh, needs in their homes to store and to transport commodity. So they would make pottery. 
Sometimes when they would dry their pottery, the, the clay would crack. And then if they were an unscrupulous pottery maker, they would fill that crack with wax. And then they would smooth it over and then they would paint the pottery so you couldn't see that it was cracked. And then they could sell the pot as if it was a pot that didn't have any cracks. It would withstand heat. It would, it would be usable. And without wax meant that this pot had never been cracked, filled with wax, painted over to hide it from the customer that would be procuring a piece of pottery. Now, what, they, what I've read that they would do when they were uh, in a market and they were buying a piece of clay pottery, they would take the clay pot and they would hold it up to the sun and they would spin it in the sun. And if there was a crack in that pot that was filled with wax, when they got to the place where the crack was, the sun would shine through it. And the sun would reveal that this is not a quality product. And so it was something that was uh, fractured and not usable. To say of someone, you are sincere, meant you're genuine. You're the real deal. There's not cracks in your character that are hidden carefully behind the facade of a big smile. You're genuine. You're real through and through. How do you identify someone whose character is flawless without wax? You hold them up to the light of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And you examine their character in the light of of the mind of Christ and it's the light of the mind of Christ and the word of God that either reveals flaws or guarantees that you are without any cracks and, and, and things of that nature that you are genuine things that are that ye may be sincere the goal is to produce Christians who have a high level of discernment, who are able to analyze and sift through things, and to be able to understand how God would view this, and be able to approve not just what I can get by with, but I can approve what is excellent, and be a person who doesn't have cracks and flaws that I have hid through hypocrisy to keep people from knowing who I really am. Am I who I really claim to be? Someone said, I wish I, wish I were the man that my dog knows me to be. <laughs> am I really the person who people think that I am? That is sincerity. That is to be sincere. When, when people think of me, Am I really the person that I live with that, that I know to be real because I know where I go on the Internet and I know the thoughts that go through my mind? Am I the person 
that people think that I am. That's what it means to be sincere. To be without flaws, cracks that are glossed over carefully to hide them from view so no one will know what I really am. And they'll think this pot is a good pot to buy. And they don't realize they're getting a flawed commodity. Paul's desire is that these people might grow in their love to the point that their love is intelligent, it it, it thinks like God, and it's discerning, it has the ability to compare and discern things, utilizing the mind of God, enabling them to grow into a person who is sincere, who's without wax in their character, who's the real deal, and that are without offense. They don't offend people. They're not easily offended themselves. They don't cause people to stumble by the way they treat people. You know, the word offense <clears throat> comes from, a, from a, a word picture of a root in a pathway in the woods and, and that would catch your toe and cause you to stumble. And when you offend somebody, there's something about you that caused them to stumble. And you offended them. And they've stumbled over something about you. And Paul's desire, his goal, is that these church members in Philippi would grow in their spiritual maturity to the point that they could live lives where they have the ability to identify the best things to do and to live by. That they would be genuine and and the real deal that people think they are. And that they would live their lives without offending people causing people to trip and stumble over something about them. That's his goal. And you know what the success of this is? The success of this is verse number 11 tells us what the success of this petition being answered and this goal being met. Verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ Under the glory and praise of God. You see a person. That has become spiritually mature. The person who has. Desired spiritual maturity. To the point that they were willing to go to the gym. And sweat. And discipline themselves. And work. To grow. Spiritually. The one who has invested the time. And the energy. And the work. And the sweat. That they have developed spiritual maturity. The end result is that they are filled with the fruit of righteousness. Or as I put in your little worksheet there, a harvest of holiness that flows out of that person. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. That fruit, the harvest The fruits that grow out of my life, the fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ. I could never do that. I could never be that person. I could never achieve that. But by Jesus Christ, in all of his power, in all of his expertise working in my life, through the process of spiritual maturity, I can actually end up with my life producing a harvest of holiness that brings great glory to God. It is by Jesus Christ and it's unto the glory and praise of God. What a great uh, success 
of a Christian life when that person produces a harvest of holiness to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity, it's not automatic because I've just lived enough years as a Christian. It's not an experience that I just wake up and I'm spiritually mature. No, it's a process. It's a process that I have to desire. I have to want it so desperately that I'll discipline myself to be able to develop the habits that over time will bring me so in conformity to the, the Word of God and the mind of God that I actually develop the mind of Christ. And as that person, I have discernment to see and understand the way God sees and understands. And my love becomes intelligent and discerning. And I become a person who can identify the excellent things to do. The person that is genuine and real. The person who doesn't cause other people to to trip and stumble over my life. That kind of a person produces a harvest of holiness with their life. We've seen today, this is an oft-repeated theme. It was the goal of Epaphras for the church at Colossus. It was the goal of Paul for the church at Philippi. It's the heartbeat of God that we become spiritually mature people. Are you growing? Is spiritual maturity uh, healthy in your life Not that you're there, not that you've arrived. Paul even said, I haven't arrived yet. But he said, I'm I'm pressing forward. I'm pressing forward toward the mark of the high calling of God. Not that you think that you are the spiritually mature giant. But are you growing? Are you developing? Is that process of spiritual maturity healthy in your life? Are you learning in your prayer times with God, in your study of the Word of God, are you developing the mind of Christ? Are you growing in spiritual maturity? That's the heartbeat of the New Testament churches, the pastors for the people, Christians for the ones they mentor. God help us to be growing in our spiritual maturity.